My 30th birthday, I celebrated by going to a nightclub with my friends. At midnight, I walked out of the nightclub and I, I ran 30 miles that night. You know, it almost killed me. Next guest holds the record for the longest uninterrupted run in history. Please say hello to Dean Carnassus. I've run 135 miles across Death Valley in the middle of summer, which is the hottest place on Earth. And I've run a marathon to the South Pole, which is the coldest place on Earth. It was minus 45 degrees. Most people, you know, they, they live in a, a house, uh, they go out to their car, uh, they drive to the office. <laughs> they, they don't ever wander in nature. And, and they're also removed from pain. I mean, they, they fear pain and they're, they're always trying to you know, take a, a medication or a pill to get rid of pain. It's created so much loneliness uh, amongst our population because we don't, we, we don't know how to move beyond this place where we're stuck. I've chosen a path that is uh, non-traditional. I'll never forget it. I bought a, those baby strollers and I put all my, my luggage and my laptop in there and just started pushing it. And I started running, you know, heading back to California from New York and just looking for the sunset. I found parks to sleep in at night. You know, some people saw me and they recognized me and they I slept on their couch. I've learned to embrace the struggle that if, if you run from the struggle, uh, it'll crush you. I'm no longer a young man. I'm still somehow making a living as an athlete. I'm 60 years old and I've got a 100 mile race you know, in a couple weeks I'm training for. How do you do it? I thought about how I would start this interview. And I think the best way, just to give you the reason why I'm doing this in the first place, and then we can get started with some of the questions that I have. Um, you see, so the name of this podcast is called Traces of Victory. And the reason is because I, so I'm 29, and I personally, I'm still trying to figure out my own path in life, you know, my, my own personal road. And I still don't know, to be honest, exactly what I wanna be doing in the next two years, three years. And I know that many of my listen, listeners find themselves in the same boat. This, they, they are unsure about the, the path ahead. I thought that it would be interesting to kind of interview other people that inspirational people from all walks of life to understand how they found their roads in life. And so I think it would be good to start from, uh, from something that it's kind of close to my heart because in June, I'll be, I'll be turning 30 years old. <laughs> and, it's, it's, and it's like, wow, whew, I'm 30, 30 years old. And, uh, and it's interesting, I'm excited, but at the same time, I'm a little bit scared because I honestly don't know where I'm headed in life. And so I want to talk about that moment at that bar when you were drinking with your friends and then uh, you decided, you know what? I don't like uh, where I'm headed in life and I'm just going to go out and I'm going to run 30 miles. And uh, I want to know from that point, from that specific point, how did you make that shift? Like, how did you go from that point to then becoming this person? Well, I, I decided I was going to write a book. And that was kind of the first step. Mm -hmm. I, I, didn't, I didn't think I would sell very many copies, but I thought I want to try the challenge of writing a book because writing a book is, is difficult. It's like running an ultra marathon. It is very um, uh, time consuming. Uh, it requires a lot of focus and dedication. And I wrote a book and uh, the book was a, a, a good seller. It was called Ultra Marathon Man. It was my first book. And I realized that there was power in the storytelling of, of, of someone trying to triumph beyond even running. It was just the, the human triumph of daring, of doing something uh, that was courageous and uh, unusual and bold. And I thought, you can make a living doing this somehow. <laughs> I don't know how, but um, I think there's, there's enough interest and it inspires people in a, in a in enough way that there's there's some way you can turn this into your life. Interesting. But then what happened between that moment when you said, okay, I'm gonna change direction in life? Because I, I guess it wasn't an overnight success. Like you were still working your corporate job and then you decided that I wanna become this person. What was the transition? How did you make it happen? Was it you were still working and at the same time you were trying to figure out, okay, how am I going, how am I going to make a living doing what I love? That's exactly right. So I was um, starting to do kind of side jobs within uh, running industry. So I started working with um, a footwear company designing uh, trail shoes. 
this was when um, trail running was just becoming a new thing uh, in in the old days. Uh, you know, right when a time around the time you were born, most people only ran on the roads, like the Rome Marathon or some of the other marathons. And uh, I was very much um, into trail hiking. I grew up in California. So I started uh, helping the North Face design uh, trail running shoes. And from there, the relationship grew and uh, the community grew. And I started finding other avenues to, you know, to pay the bills. I think, um, you know, what you're alluding to is uh, anyone can do what they love all day, but, how, you know, how do you the lights on? How do you, yeah, how do you make a living? So I, um, <clears throat> I started getting sponsors uh, and, and it, you know, there was enough revenue coming in from my athletic pursuits that I could, I could work a little bit less. <clears throat> and eventually I just transitioned completely out of my job and became a full-time athlete. And uh, when was it the first time that you're like, okay, wow, this ultra thing, I, it's, it's just unbelievable. Like how these people do it? When, when did it happen? Was it like a specific moment that, that you met somebody and you're like, these people can run 100 miles? Like, how is it possible? And I want to do the same. Was there a specific moment? Well, I, <clears throat> on my 30th birthday, you know, when you turn 30, you'll probably, I don't know what, how you'll celebrate, but I, I celebrated by going to a, a pub, a, you know, a nightclub with my friends. And uh, at midnight, I told them I was going to leave. And they said, well, where are you going? It's, you know, it's your 30th birthday. And I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run 30 miles to celebrate. You know, which is about 50 kilometer, about 49 kilometer, and they 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 said you're crazy. You know, you're you're not even you're not a runner. But I I remember when I was a kid, I used to love to run, and how much uh, it made me feel alive. Mm, yeah. So I um, I walked out of the nightclub and I I ran 30 miles that night, and you know it almost killed me. It was it was you know it was the most difficult thing I had ever done. And then I started becoming a runner after that point. So um, I, I got some running shoes and I started, you know, jogging every day. <laughs> and I um, was jogging home one day and I was pretty, I thought I was a pretty fit guy. I was in pretty good shape. <laughs> and two, these two guys passed me. And uh -huh. these guys were almost like another species of human. I mean, they were, uh, they were so fit and so trim. And I thought, I want to talk to these guys to see, you know, what, what are they doing? How did they get this way? But they just disappeared over the top of this mountain. I thought, I'll never see them again. Uh, but when I got to the top of the mountain, they were up there doing push-ups. <laughs> wow. So I, yeah, they, and, and so I tried to talk to them. They weren't very talkative, but I finally, I said, you know, are you, are you training for something? And they said, it's a race, yes. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you know, how, how far is this race? And they said, well, it's 50 miles. So about, you know, nearly 80 kilometers. And I, I said at, at once, like, how, how, you know, how, how can a human run 50 miles? <clears throat> and they said, yeah, there's, you know, I said, are there campgrounds or hotels along the way? And they said, no, the, the starting gun goes off and you just start running and, you know, you're, you're done when you cross the finish line. And they kind of said, you know, if you cross the finish line, <laughs> you know, implying that I, you know, I, I wasn't fit enough to yeah. cross the finish line. Yeah. So I learned about this race and I signed up, went to this race and uh, somehow finished the 50 mile race. And it was by far the most difficult thing I'd ever done in my whole life. And I was in the medical tent at the finish. As you know, you know, from doing your marathon, they, they give you a mylar blanket and you kind of wrapped up in yes. it. And I was sitting there <clears throat> completely dehydrated. And uh, I saw these same two guys and they were, they were high-fiving each other, congratulating each other saying they qualified. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought, you know, what did you qualify for the, you know, the, the insane asylum? <laughs> and they said, no, we, we qualified for the Western States 100 mile endurance run. Mm -hmm. And I looked at them, I said, hold it. Did you say a hundred miles, like twice as far as we just ran? And they said, yes, it's twice as far. And I said, well, you know, how, what, what do you do at night? Do you stop at night? <clears throat> and they said, no, you just put on a headlamp and you run at night. And I said, uh, you know, how do you eat? And they say, you, you eat while you run. <laughs> and they said, you cross a river, you know, along the way. And I thought, that sounds completely impossible. A, a human cannot run 100 miles. Yeah. And I thought, I have to try this. Because they said to me, the last thing they said as they were leaving is, you know what, you qualified as well. 
And when they said that to me, I knew that if I didn't do it for the rest of my life, I'd, I'd always wonder, could I have done it? Mm -hmm. So I signed up for the 100 mile race and and that was, you know, back in right around the time you were born. That was 1993. Interesting. And um, I wonder, has ever happened to you that after you leaving your job, um, you encountered encountered self-doubt thinking? This is hard. How am I going to make it? I personally, um, like I have many dreams, things that I want to accomplish. For example, one of the things is I love this podcast, you know, although it's small, but I love talking to people. I love uh, listening to other people's stories and trying to understand, okay, how can I uh, become a better person? Uh, but at the same time, sometimes I, I encounter self-doubt. Am I good enough? Am I, can I make it? Um, can I make a living doing this? So. Has ever happened that you encountered self-doubt? And if you did, how do you deal with that? <laughs> I mean, I encounter self-doubt every day. Every day. Uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've chosen a path that is uh, non-traditional. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, you know, uh, nowadays it's more common to do things like what you're doing, to have a, a side job, you know, either uh, like a, you know, gig economy is kind of big now. Mm -hmm. Uh, you can, you know, you can drive for Uber or, you know, you can do a lot of different things. You can start a podcast. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I when I broke away from the corporate world, that was more unusual. You know, this is an era where most people work for the same company their whole life. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to do that. So, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm no longer a young man. I'm still somehow making a living as an athlete, which is crazy. Yeah, I mean, you hear about, it's crazy. you know. Tennis players, Nadal, Federer, I mean, those guys are in their, you know, early to mid 30s and they're saying, wow, it's amazing they've lasted this long. Hmm. You know, I'm, I'm 60 years old and I've got a hundred mile race, you know, in a couple of weeks I'm training for. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, you know, every, every day I've got to figure out how am I going to, you know, how, how am I going to have a, uh, you know, an income tomorrow? And, you know, I, it's a strong, and I've learned to embrace the struggle that if, if you run from the struggle, uh, it'll crush you. So to me, I, I really enjoy the full spectrum of human emotions. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I, I've done I'm doing things now that I've never done in my entire life. I just wrote a, a movie script mm -hmm. and it's really hard to get this in front of people because, you know, I'm a, I've, I've never written a script and um, I'm brand new at this. So I'm, you know, approaching it with fresh eyes. And I'm getting a lot of no's, a lot of rejections, and it's demoralizing. Uh, but then again, I, I kind of, uh, you know, I, I lean into it and I say, embrace the suffering, embrace this, this horrible situation that seems hopeless. And, you know, really uh, engage in that, th these feelings of desperation. Uh, and I know all of us feel these feelings. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us think that um, they, you know, we, we don't like these feelings. We don't want them anymore. We, we want to be a success in everything we do. Mm -hmm. um, I certainly have had some successes and I tend to not celebrate my successes as, as much as my failures. Hmm. Why? I think success doesn't bring as much reward as failure. I think success uh, is the, the, the conclusion of a journey. And I think that the, the magic is in the journey itself. So, uh, you know, we all love a Hollywood story and a good story, you know, the, the hero is beaten down at a point and somehow must, you know, rise from the ashes. And I think there's just something uh, about that, the struggle. And I don't know, I think it's, it's the nature of, of mankind. I mean, you know, I, I do a lot of reading and, mm -hmm. you know, you read some of the earliest literature, uh, you know, Homer, and you read the Iliad and the Odyssey, and it's all about um, struggle and, and longing and pain. I mean, um, the main character of the Odyssey, Odysseus, he, the translation of his, his name is man of pain. Mm -hmm. So I think something inside us uh, seeks that, that struggle more than comfort. And on that, on that note, how do you keep yourself grounded? Because I myself think, okay, journey before destination. And I think, okay, the journey is way more important and in destination. But sometimes my mind just wanders and it wanders in places where 
I sometimes um, negative thoughts come into my mind. Although I, I feel like intellectually I know that, okay, the journey is more important than the destination. But at the same time, part of my head still wonders on the future ahead. Because you, you were saying um, that every single day you wake up and you think, okay, how can I, um, how can I earn money? How can I make a living? How do you think about those thoughts, but at the same time, remove those thoughts so that you can focus on what you do best? I think, um, you know, a couple things. One is to uh, sometimes <clears throat> don't think about anything. Just mm -hmm. be, be in the moment, mm -hmm. uh, in, the, in the here and now. We hear, you know, we know, we hear a lot these days about mindfulness, uh, and that's not an easy place to get to. But um, if you can, for an hour or so, and especially when I run, I meditate. And mm -hmm. I don't, when I say meditate, I, I just, uh, I, I try not to think of anything except for my next footstep. Mm -hmm. So I don't think about how much further I've got to go on my run. I don't mm -hmm. think about past memories. Uh, I don't think about the future. I just think about taking my next step and looking around and engaging in, in the environment and, and nature and being in the here and now. And to me, that is kind of refreshing. And it, mm -hmm. um, it kind of reequates you with being human because you know, we, we live in a, in a, in a world that's constructed, mm -hmm. uh, in a very unnatural sort of way. <laughs> and sometimes if you're so engaged in that, uh, it's dehumanizing. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, especially here in America, most of the people have absolutely no relationship with nature. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's where we came from. And I think most people, you know, they, they live in a, a house, uh, they go out to their car, uh, they drive to the office, <laughs> you know, they go shopping in a supermarket. They, they don't ever wander in nature. And mm -hmm. to me, uh, that is the most grounding thing ever is to just go for a one or two hour run off on a trail and, and don't think about anything. Mm -hmm. Just be just be a human uh, wandering through nature. And it's almost primordial. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I would say try that. And uh, try to, you know, it takes a lot of discipline because our minds are so active. Even right now, as we're having this interview, you know, we're talking, but you're thinking about a million different things. If you can quiet your mind mm -hmm. and just be in the present here and now, uh, a lot of times you emerge from that kind of refreshed and rejuvenated. Do you think that does that feeling of um, um, people living a life there is no grounded with nature? Does that bring loneliness in your life? Because sometimes it brings loneliness to my life when I try to talk with people and explain things that I want to do, but they ca I can't relate to these people, you know? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and I just wonder if I'm just, I, I, I guess I'm not, I'm, I'm not the only one who uh, like feels lonely in terms of uh, finding my own tribe does that feeling of uh, disconnection with other people uh, bring a level of loneliness in your life? Yes, it does. And I, I'm glad you, you mentioned that. That's very perceptive, especially for someone your age. Uh, you know, I mean, I watch the news. Uh, I interact with people throughout the day, and I feel like we don't really connect. There's very few yeah. people that I really connect with because our realities are so much different. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, it, it's it's funny. Um, I think you know I'm 100% Greek. Yeah, I know. And for some reason, when I go to Greece, I just feel like I connect with the people on a different on a different level. And the Greek culture, um, you know, I mean, the, the culture's been around for for 3,000 years, so it's it's much more sophisticated and refined than mm -hmm. here in America, where you know our culture's maybe 300 years old at the oldest. Mm -hmm. But there's something about the Greeks. They're never beyond just saying, let's have a, a shot of Uzo and Greek dance. <laughs> like, just screw everything. Let's just be humans and have some fun for a while. And you don't, you know, you don't, you don't encounter that mentality here in the U.S. that, that often. I think people are um, very combative and they're very removed from nature. And, uh, and they're also removed from pain. I mean, they, they fear pain and they're, they're always trying to you know, take a, a medication or a pill to get rid of pain where you and I know that, you know, when you're running, you're going to encounter pain and, and pain apart is part of living. And it's an emotion you should experience. 
So I think that um, you and I could probably go on a, a three or four hour run and, and very much relate to each other. But there's not a lot of people out there that would that would join us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they would think we're crazy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, um, why do you think is the case that is so different between, uh, for example, people living in Greece and then Americans? I just think that um, culturally, uh, they've the Greeks throughout history have experienced all of these things we're discussing, and mm -hmm. they've debated it. I mean, from the time of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, they they looked at how best to live your life. So they've been mulling over this question, and I think that you know in in the modern age, uh, in a lot of industrialized countries, uh, you know we just thought production, business, um, economy was the the staple of happiness, and I think it, it's created so much loneliness uh, amongst our population because we don't we we don't know how to move beyond this place where we're stuck. <laughs> Why I, was, I think turning back to, to ancient history is, is a way to look at how people have, have navigated these same waters successfully. Interesting. And um, what do you think are, um, what advices will you give somebody my age, somebody who is looking for the roads in life, somebody who may be is a little bit obese, somebody maybe who doesn't have a good relation with nature, and they're a little bit lost in life, what would you say to them? You know, a, a practical um, tool that I, I tell people is to uh, write your perfect, just write a script, a paragraph or two about your perfect life. Mm -hmm. So just freeform, it's just, um, you know, n nothing uh, too formal. You can type it, you can write it just with a pencil or a pen, but just say tomorrow, just dream. Tomorrow morning, if I woke up and my life was exactly as I wanted it, uh, what would it look like? Where would I live? You know, What kind of car would I drive or would I even have a car? Mm -hmm. Would I be married? Would I have kids? Uh, what would I be doing? Would I be windsurfing every day? Would I be running? Would I be you know, writing? Would I be making a movie? Would I be acting in a movie? Mm -hmm. Just write down exactly what your perfect life would be. Uh, and then you at least have uh, a, a framework of what your perfect life looks like. Because if you, if you don't know where you're going, you'll never get there. Mm -hmm. But once you have this idea of this is kind of where what it would, my life would look like if it was perfect, mm -hmm. you can start moving in that direction. Uh, and I think that People are sometimes surprised. I mean, I asked my son to do this. <laughs> what do you, said, what do you oh, say? Dad, you know, I'll be in, I'll be in Hawaii drinking, a, <laughs> you know, pina colada or my, you know, having a margarita. That's my perfect life. And he thought about it more, and he thought, you know, that's kind of an empty life. Like my perfect, I'd, I'd be in the Peace Corps, you know, serving uh, an underprivileged country. I'd be in, in, in Turkey or Syria <laughs> right now, helping with earthquake relief. So you know, write down exactly what would bring you the most internal fulfillment. And I think that's a very good exercise for people mm -hmm. because, like you said, you're you're not quite sure where you want to go mm -hmm. um, moving forward. But if you could wake up tomorrow and have the exact life you wanted, what would your life look like? You talked about this concept, and uh, you're in the podcast with Louis House. And my perfect life would be, to be honest, be somewhere at the beach where it's warm, and being able to wake up in the morning, a beautiful wife. And I, I, I had all like all the all, all the little details like the the, the color of the of the of the of the room, uh, the the temperature of the water when I take the shower, <laughs> and um, and uh, it will be uh, being able to interview some incredible people, learn from them, and then spend time outdoor, windsurfing, running, and then come home and work on things that is that are meaningful to me. Um, for example, having a small podcast and be able to interview people and sit down with people and, uh, and have meaning, meaningful conversation with people and uh, build a small business that it's uh, meaningful to me. And uh, so this will be my perfect life. Now, my next question is, how do you go from now having the vision of what I, what I think I want to actually making it happen? From, from your personal experience of uh, me wanting to become this incredible man, this ultra runner who, who, who is able to do incredible things. How do, you, 
how do you make the leap? Well, I mean, I think you're already moving in that direction. You, you know, we're, <laughs> we're, we're interviewing on yes. your podcast and, you know, I mean, I think that you, you're growing an audience on your podcast because, uh, you're a good interviewer and you, you're, you're deep and you ask some, some penetrating questions and you have some very spirited and honest conversations. So you're already moving in that direction. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that you'll have great success with your podcast. I think that you, you're, you know, the more guests you have on that have notoriety, the more um, guests you'll attract that are similar and you'll find an audience. I mean, I think there is an audience for the kind of discussion we're having. Mm -hmm. And, and so I applaud you on that. I mean, I think that because you know, you want to do this, you'll be very good at noticing, okay, um, this sort of conversation really works well. I enjoy it and it brings in more listeners. <clears throat> You'll find uh, advertisers that you align with. I think that you'll look at other um, potential uh, revenue streams through doing what you're doing. So I think you're, you're taking the appropriate steps. I think you're moving in that direction. It, you know, it, it, it's not going to happen overnight. No, yeah. you know, my friend Rich Roll, who's, you know, mm -hmm. is, yeah. uh, you might know Rich. Absolutely. I mean, I remember the first time, yeah, I was like one of his first guests. And wow. he just, you know, he, he, he didn't think it would, he, <clears throat> he had no vision for where his podcast was going. He just liked to talk to people mm -hmm. and, you know, look what he's become. So I, I can see you becoming the same thing. And is it the same mindset that you had uh, when you wanted to transition into becoming an ultramarathon runner? You know, I, I just say it all starts with a dream. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, like when I ran the 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days, um, the, you know, the, the book you read about that yes. you talked about, uh, you know, that was just a dream. Like I thought it would be an incredible adventure uh, to see all of America and run a marathon in, in every state. And, you know, how I was going to pay for this, <laughs> I had no idea. But the pieces, I just started assembling the pieces yeah. and eventually it all came together. I read about this technique that you had, which actually, interesting enough, it helped me a lot. The technique of baby steps. So instead of thinking about the whole 50, 50 marathons in 50 states, just think about the next step or the next bush. And it truly helped me a lot, to be honest, especially when I was training and I just, just even running and I just don't feel, sometimes I just don't feel like running, you know, it's, it's cloudy. I, I hate running when it's cloudy and when it's raining, I just hate that. <laughs> but sometimes you got to do it. And I think this technique of just baby steps, uh, take baby steps, just follow, uh, focus on the next bush or just focus on the next, uh, on the next, um, the next tree, just get there. It truly helped me a lot. And, um, one, one thing that I also wanted to, um, talk about because I think it's important. And although I'm 29, I see life sometimes through my, to the, to the eyes of other people, especially for example, through my grandmother's eyes, she's 90 years old. So I don't know how long she has to live, maybe five more years, 10 more years, I hope longer. Maybe she's become, she's gonna become a centenarian, who knows? But <laughs> I just wonder how, how do you approach the concept of uh, Death, uh, the concept of uh, like a search for meaning. How do you approach that concept? How do you think about that in, in your life? <laughs> These are big questions. Yes. Uh, that, you know, mankind has pondered forever. I know. And, you know, I mean, we all, we all search. And, you know, I think that we all try to find meaning in what we're doing. But in a sense, there is no meaning. I mean, let's face it. Uh, you know, in in a hundred years, this conversation probably won't mean much to anyone. And yes. in a thousand years, it certainly will not. You know, in, in a million years, will you know it, <laughs> it won't matter. You know, and, and in five hundred million years, there'll be no one left on Earth, if not sooner, because we'll be so close to the sun that you know it'll be too hot to to live on this planet. So where do you find meaning in that? I mean, we're just a, a speck of dust in, you know, in a, a vast, uh, empty universe. And I think that, uh, to me, it's, it's just, it's, it's the, it's the little things, it's the little enjoyments in life that bring the most meaning. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's hugging your grandma. I mean, she's 90 years old, you know, she's your grandma, you've probably seen a lot of her, but just to hug her, 
probably means so much to her. And it's, it's just those little sort of celeb- celebratory moments of life that, that give it meaning. Because if you think about it too much, no matter who you are, no matter how important you are, you know, it, it comes to an end. I mean, it, even, you know, Achilles <laughs> in, in the Iliad said, you know, he'd rather, he'd rather be a, a, a nobody than a famous war hero uh, in the underworld among the dead. Mm-hmm. So wow. he, he realized that you need to celebrate life. And um, even though he was, uh, you know, supposedly this great hero uh, in, in real life, it didn't, it didn't do much for him. He should have lived his life a little more fully. Interesting. And how do you appreciate the little things? How do you do it? Because it, made me, it makes me think of, um, I was reading your book yesterday. I was just rereading. And I came across this interesting passage that I found it super interesting. And you tell the story when uh, you finished the 50 marathons in 50 states and you were in New York and uh, you were in the, this hotel room and your family left. And you woke up and you felt this sensation of uh, emptiness inside of you and you decide to run from New York to San Francisco and I read it I'm like wait did I did I just read that right so you decide to go to, from New York to San Francisco and then you go and then you reach I think it was uh, Mississippi yeah Mississippi yeah. Mm. and uh, and then you all of a sudden you feel complete as if the journey of these 50 marathons, 50 states was complete. And you decide, okay, I'm gonna go home. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Well, I mean, the, you know, the 50 marathons um, became somewhat of a commercial project. It was, it was grand and it was spectacular, <clears throat> but it was also a lot of news interviews and a, a lot of celebration around it. And I kind of got caught up in it and I thought, you know, you, you love running for the purity and the, the simplicity and the, the isolation of mm-hmm. running. And I wanted some of that back. I felt like maybe that was a, a missing component of the 50 marathons. So I, I'll never forget. I just I, I bought a, <clears throat> one of those, those baby strollers <laughs> and I put all my, my luggage and my laptop in there and just started pushing it. <clears throat> and I started running you know, heading back to California from New York. And this is before, you know, we had um, smartphone, you know, we didn't have uh, GPS devices and those sort of things. So I was just pushing this, uh, this baby stroller with all my clothes in there and, and just looking for the sunset because the sun always sets in the West. So if you run toward the sunset, you're heading back to California. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, that's just crazy to be doing that because it's 3,000 miles, it's insane. you know, it's 5,600 kilometers <laughs> across, across the country. And I just, I found parks to sleep in at night. Um, you know, some people saw me and they recognized me and they, I slept on their couch, you know, a couple nights and it was, it was amazing. And then uh, you got to Mississippi and uh, you felt, okay, it's complete. I'm going home. And I think that was appreciating the, the, the little things when you got home and you accomplished this amazing feat. How did you, how did you then switch your mind to, okay, just, just appreciate time with my wife, time with my kids, just a simple run? Yeah, it was something else. <clears throat> it was something else. I mean, uh, I, so I crossed the Mississippi River, which is halfway across. That's like the, the dividing point in, across the U.S. So it's kind of made it halfway back. And it just something inside me felt like it was complete, as you mm-hmm. said. And so I just <laughs> I, I ran to the airport. I said, you know, do you have a flight going to San Francisco? And and she's and the flight attendant said yes. And I, I gave her my credit card. And half an hour later, you know, after running for, you know, halfway across America, all of a sudden I'm on a plane flying home. And uh, it was interesting. It was wonderful. I, I flew home to my family. It was it was the holidays here in the United States, so it was something we call Thanksgiving. Yes. And and it, you know, it just felt like I should be with my family for Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and it just wonderful. It, it, it was the perfect conclusion to the story. It just all seemed to fall into place. Wonderful, and probably that time with your family meant a lot to you. Maybe I don't know. Maybe more than accomplishing the goal. Maybe even more than accomplishing. <laughs> 
the finishing line of the 50 marathons. I don't know. But I want to explore this statement that I found it fascinating. And the statement is, we all live in a prison with door wide open. What does it mean? Yeah, I think I think that he's alluding to the fact that, uh, you know, we, we are our own worst enemy, that hmm. um, we put limitations on ourselves because we believe we can't do things. Mm-hmm. So we live in prison and we never try. So I think, you know, the Greeks have a saying, O Toleman Nike, which means who dares wins. And who I think dares? that's a great statement. I think just by, by daring and stepping out of that prison, uh, you're a winner, even if you fail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I think that's, you know, I think that it, it's not failure that stops people. In my experience, it's the fear of failure. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, that that statement is to uh, put aside your fear and, and open the cage and get out. Interesting. I think a lot of people also feel a lot of, a lot of anxiety when it comes to maybe just completing the first 5K or maybe just accomplish that goal or going uh, on that direction. Do you experience anxiety when uh, you stand on the line and you have your next 100-mile run? Do you feel anxiety or not anymore? Yeah, no, I feel anxiety. I mean, even at the start of a marathon, I feel anxiety. Um, and I think that's good. I think once I stop feeling the anxiety, then I, I won't um, appreciate the experience as much. Because, I mean, even with the marathon, there's no certainty, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you, you never know if you're going to make it. I think that's the beauty of the marathon, uh, and especially the ultra marathon, is mm-hmm. uh, no matter how fit you are, no, you know, no matter what, there's no guarantees. So you're, you're taking a step into the unknown. And the, the thing that I've also always noticed is uh, once the gun goes off and you cross the starting line, somehow the anxiety just goes away, doesn't yeah. it? it? It all disappears uh, because you're all of a sudden you're, you're in the fight. So you're in the here and now, like it's you're making it happen versus worrying about how is it going to happen. Mm-hmm. So whenever I'm um, experiencing anxiety, it's always to the buildup of something that you're going to start. And once you get started, that anxiety just disappears. Yeah. It's the trick is to get started. I just get going. <laughs> <laughs> the, the trick is having the, is the is having the courage to sign up. To sign up, I, yeah. I think, you know, yeah, I mean, you, you know, you you did the Rome Marathon and, you, you know, you, a lot of your peers, your friends, uh, probably thought you were crazy. And, you know, they thought maybe that's something that, you know, yeah. they could never do. And you might have thought it was something you could never do. And and once you do it, you prove to yourself, you know, that you're better than you think you are and you can mm-hmm. go further than you th- thought you could. But then how do you get the courage, for example? You, you're, you're writing this incredible script, this movie script, and you're getting rejected. It's, it's a little bit different than running a race. Because in that case... You fear, the gun goes off, you start, and then it's true. The fear disappears because you, you move. In that case, it's a little bit less dynamic because you're writing the script, but you're getting rejected. So how do you deal with that in that, in that particular scenario? <laughs> it's tough. It is tough. And again, I think that um, uh, you know, embracing the failure is mm-hmm. you know, when you get rejection, saying, wow, this, this really hurts, this stings, and it's horrible. And, you know, how, how, how low do you feel on the emotional spectrum? Mm-hmm. You know, is this the lowest you've ever been? <laughs> because anyone who dares is going to get rejected. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we all think that uh, the people that we admire are perfect. And, you know, you might have thought I was perfect. And <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, I have just as many rejection letters as acceptance letters. So I think, most people that um, reach a high level of achievement are just, they're gritty. They're tough and they, they can kind of uh, deflect a lot of rejection mm-hmm. or process a lot of rejection and, and keep moving forward. Interesting. And I think running sometimes also helps you to run from things. Are you running from things or towards things? I, I think I, I do both as well. And, and let's face it, I mean, running is a, a great form of escapism. Yes, it is. You know, when things are really bad, I don't know, some, for some reason I can go for a run and, you know, when I come back home two hours later, it, it doesn't seem as bad anymore. Something that I find it fascinating is how incredible 
you are at your age. And I want to be like you when I'm 60 years old, to be honest. How do you maintain this longevity throughout the years? How do you do it? I think it's, it's a little bit of everything. I don't think there's just one thing. I, I think that um, I approach my life through the lens of being the best animal that I can be. Mm-hmm. And I apply that in everything I do, uh, from diet to sleep to exercise to cross-training. Uh, you know, a, a couple of things that, uh, a couple of practices I hold uh, is that I never, never do something that you're doing right now. I'm sitting. sitting. <laughs> <laughs> you can probably tell I'm on my feet. Yes. Yeah. I mean, during the interview, I'm on my feet. I've been bouncing around. So uh, I encourage you and, and anyone else who's listening or watching this um, interview to a couple of days a week, uh, if, if you can, you know, if you're not driving anywhere or flying anywhere, from the moment you get out of bed until the moment you go back to bed at night, uh, don't sit down. Mm-hmm. Try this for a day and see how much better you feel. Um, also I'm constantly working out through the course of the day. So even before this interview, I did, you know, a set of, um, ups pull-ups, uh, burpees and so forth. So I'm doing these little, um, micro bursts of cross training. And I think that helps. Um, the other thing is that, uh, I don't need anything in a bag, anything that's mm-hmm. refined or processed. So I like to tell people if I can't, you know, pick it from a tree or dig it from the earth or catch it with my hands. Uh, I won't eat it. So try to avoid um, man-made foods. I mean, there's there's a saying, um, uh, you know, if, if it if it comes from a plant, eat it. If it's made in a plant, don't. <laughs> you don't own a car, isn't it? You don't drive. <laughs> you don't drive. I don't but drive. you know, you know what's interesting. Yeah. It's my next question. Because one of one of one of my one of the difficulties that I'm having is designing my, 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 my own environment and finding a place that I love. Um, for example, I was born in Turin. I lived in Rome and I lived in different places. And uh, I don't personally like being in uh, Turin or in, in Italy. I prefer more like inter- in an international environment. And it's hard for me to, and many people that listen, I've been having these conversations with so many people, to find a place that you love. So. What are some of your advices on finding a place that you, that you love or just designing your environment? Because from what you're describing, like you designed your environment specifically to your specific case. So you, you have a stand-up desk, you don't drive, you run. And I think designing your environment, I think it's a big part of your success. I would say make that a priority. Yeah. Um, you know, people sometimes say to me, uh, you know, wow, that's incredible. You can't drive. I really, you know, you don't drive, you don't own a car. I really admire you. Like I, I could never do that. It's, it's so impractical. Yeah, it is. <laughs> You're right. It is very impractical not having a car mm-hmm. because I have to, uh, design my whole life around the fact that I don't have a car. So, you know, if I want to go get some food, I know I got to run there and it's going to take, you know, at least 30 minutes to get to the closest place I can you know, grab some food. Uh, you know, if I want to go to the bank to deposit check, which, you know, I got to run there. Mm-hmm. So it, it is inconvenient, but it's the way I want to structure my life. So um, I put up with it and I, I design my life around the fact that I don't have a car and anyone can do that. Yes. It's just, they have to be willing with, to put up with some inconveniences and change their life around. Yeah, well, I mean, the other thing is that y- you want to be inspired by the place you live. Yeah. And, you know, you, you, it, it, you, when you go to this place you live, you want it to emotionally charge you up. Hmm. And you, you know pretty much when you, go, when you visit a place uh, how it makes you feel. You either feel very energetic or you feel depressed. Like, ah, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't feel natural. Yeah. I don't like it here. And you, you've already witnessed this and experienced this yourself. So, you know, I think that... Uh, you know, find that place that, that gives you the most energy. If that's Rome, Rome's a very dynamic city. Uh, you know, certainly Athens to me is, <laughs> I mean, you know, I live in, I live in San Francisco. Yeah. I mean, people say San Francisco is a great city and it is, it's the, you know, the, it, it is awe inspiring. It's beautiful, but I don't know when I go to Athens, it's just a whole nother level of, of 
have you, you have know, you ever thought of moving to Greece? I've thought about it quite a bit. No, it's um, I have a daughter, um, Alexandria, who's a, a few years younger than you, mm-hmm. and we're very very close. And um, she just she said to me, Dad, I'll be so sad if you move to Greece. And uh, you know, I said to her, Alex, Alexandria, you know, it's it's easy to get to Greece these days. I mean, yeah. there's there's direct flights, uh, but she she lives not not far from here. And she just says, I'd like being able just to come over to your house, you know, and spur the moment. And mm-hmm. if that, and so that, that's the main reason is, is my daughter. Interesting. Uh, just would be so sad. But I, I do spend about five months of the year in Greece now. You know, something that I, that I thought about that I wanted to ask you, uh, ask you during this interview is how do you deal with a feeling of loss? You know, because we all know that we're not here forever and especially the people that we love. And uh, I want to be prepared when uh, things go wrong. And I don't think I'm so strong. What are some of the strategies that you use that can help you to anticipate that feeling that you may have? You know, it's, it's not easy. It's, I don't think it's easy for anyone. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not trained on, you know, I'm not, I'm not a priest. No one's ever told me how to, how to counsel someone to deal with loss or grief. But uh, for me, the, the person that's gone, they live on within you. Mm-hmm. So they're now part of you, and you'll be reminded of them all the time. And it, it at first it's haunting. I mean, you'll you know you'll when your grandmother uh, is no longer with us, you know you'll see notes she wrote to you when you're a little boy. You'll see you know um, some of her pottery if she's you know if she's made pottery or some you know some of the the dishes that she used to love to eat from or some of the foods she loved, and you'll think of your grandmother. And keep her, keep her in your heart. Keep these people in your heart, and and celebrate those moments. You know, I mean, I lost my sister, and mm-hmm. I still have scraps of paper. You know, forty years later, where she had written little notes to me, and they used to make me cry, and now they just fill my heart with joy because I think I think of her, and so she lives on within me. And you know, the other more practical thing to remember is that the person that's gone. They're not suffering anymore. They they don't even know they don't know they're gone. They're mm-hmm. gone. So the, it's not like they are suffering. They've just have experienced what all of us will experience, uh, being human, and that that's their passing. So uh, that to me is is some solace. Is that it's not like they're uh, you know in a torture chamber. Um, yeah. They're they're just they're no longer with us. I thought about the last question that I would ask you, and uh, I thought about this. So imagine that it's Dean at 29 years old and you come home in your room and under your bed, you find a box. And inside the box, um, there is a letter. And inside the letter, there is written, hi, um, you don't know me, but these are some of the things that can help you uh, throughout your life, and it's you, at six years old, writing that letter. What are some of the things that you write, that you will write in that letter to your 29-old self, but without revealing the, without giving the answer to life? I would say to follow your heart. So to listen to your heart more than your head. Follow your passions. Um, I would say that uh, treat others the way you want to be treated. Um, I would say that uh, remember uh, life is a journey and not a destination. So enjoy, enjoy the enjoy the ride. Uh, and I would say um, to uh, dance more often. Dance more often. <laughs> Just dance more often. Mm-hmm. Does it mean having more fun throughout your life? Yeah, I mean, people. I, people have said to me, "Are are you know? Do you regret spending so much time windsurfing?" Because I like you, I love to windsurf. I was a professional windsurfer, and you know, I mean, those are five, six, seven, eight years of my life where that's all I did is travel around and windsurf. I, I could have been, you know, my job or my education or whatever. Wow. Um, you know, I could have been earning more money, and people say, "Don't you regret this decision you made?" Hmm. The problem is, you know, if you're doing the, the things I just said, then you're not 
enjoying windsurfing <laughs> around the world. So yeah, I don't, I don't have regrets. I mean, I, I've traveled the world windsurfing. And when did that happen? When you were in college or uh, later in life? No, when I was in uh, university. university. That's how I paid for university <laughs> um, through windsurfing. So I used to go to you know Maui all the time. You know, you know the places I, I traveled to Maui, yeah. uh, Hood River in Oregon. Uh, you know, all over California. So and 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 Mexico. Interesting. And the Caribbean. So I, I traveled all over windsurfing. Yeah. Lastly. Know thyself. What does it mean to you? To me, I mean, that's, you know, again, we're, this is a Greek concept from the, the Oracle yeah. at, at Delphi. You know, he, he said, know thyself. Um, and, you know, how, the, the thing is, that, that's a very benign statement, know thyself. How, how do you get to know thyself? Well, you don't get to know thyself by living in your comfort zone all the time, mm -hmm. right? You get to know thyself by, by daring and risking and, and moving outside of your comfort zone and trying new things and learning. So I encourage people uh, to, to never stop exploring, to keep trying new things, and you learn more about yourself uh, the more adversity you face. Mm -hmm. And uh, on that note, something that made me think, fear of comparison, comparing yourself to other people, does that happen to you? That's a big problem in society. Also for me, sometimes I compare myself to other people that are more successful, and I, I don't feel so good. Does that happen to you? I think there's a, yeah, sure, it happens. I think it's a human um, emotion, actually. And I think that uh, it's destructive. I think that, you know, um, comparing yourself to others, gossiping, putting others down are the most destructive forces in the universe. So how, how do you move away from mm -hmm. that? Uh, it, it's not easy, I'll be honest. I mean, I think that uh, for me, I, you know, I certainly, I, I now celebrate other successes, even people that I'm competitive with when they succeed, because I know it doesn't come easy. It doesn't come natural, that it's, it's hard work. So I admire these people. And instead of being jealous of them, I, I admire their success.